Good morning. How is everyone doing today? How many of you have enjoyed having a week off for fall break? I think that was the kids. I didn't hear any parents woohooing that, unless their kids went to the retreat and they were home without other kids. So uh, good to see everybody here. Traditionally, a light Sunday for us, and we've got a lot of people here this morning, lots of guests. Welcome. Glad you're here. My name is Scott Pollard. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, Mark Love, our lead pastor, is taking advantage of that fall break. They've done some camping and some things with his uh, in-laws and his kids, and so they've had a great time this week, but he asked, would I, I take this Sunday, and I gladly did. I always enjoy speaking. And um, so today, really great, the way Jimmy uh, led into this, talking about perseverance and overcoming things, that is today's message. It's about where our strength comes in, and having strength and resilience in hard situations and hard times. So this is going to be really good, great setup for that. But how many of you guys watched football yesterday? Yeah, none of the Alabama fans are raising their hands, I noticed. There's a, there's a distinct lack of that. But I've got some great examples of this from football. So let, let's start out, you know, this will be a modern-day parable, you know, think of it. So, so let's, let's look at the game yesterday, okay? Uh, let's look, who was the hero of the game yesterday, in everybody's opinion? Let's hear some, anybody got a name? Anybody? Position? Anything? Coach. Who else? Hyatt, who else? Hooker, Hendon Hooker, okay? Those are usually the three that I would think of as the tops, as the coach, the quarterback, and the receiver. The quarterback, let's talk about Hendon Hooker this morning. Let's talk about him as a young man and what he's gone through and things. You know, Hendon Hooker was not signed by UT originally. He was not one of our players. He went to Virginia Tech. And through a series of circumstances, the transfer portal, which has benefited our team and many other teams, Hendon decided to transfer. But guess what? Do you know where he was at when he came to UT? Second string. He was behind Joe Milton. He signed to go to a new place, coming from being the man, the guy that was taking Virginia Tech to some wins, and he came to the University of Tennessee and he was second string. He was behind somebody else. So would that be a little bit discouraging? You know, you're good. He's having to compete for this position now. He is not the first string guy. So Hendon comes into the university. That could be a little discouraging, couldn't it? Especially if in practice you're seeing this guy over here, Joe Milton, is doing fantastic. He's doing great in practice. Well, they started playing some games, and it turned out in gameplay that Joe Milton didn't play quite as well as he practiced. And Hendon Hooker got his shot through hard work, persevering through practice, doing the hard things, not getting all the glory, but continuing to work hard. And he became the starter. But let's look at just a, a little snip of, of Hendon Hooker's life. And I love this about him. Um, Hooker is a Christian stating that it was a blessing to have parents who got him and his siblings to be active in church at an early age. Hooker has said that all his hard work was inspired by his parents and says his dad's influence and mentorship while serving in the youth ministry at their church has helped him understand that he can use the game of football to spread the message of Jesus Christ. That's a great testimony, isn't it? Here's a young kid that's going to have all kinds of opportunities to speak and go places and be a bit of a superstar. You know, they're even floating his name around as a Heisman Trophy candidate now, winning one of the biggest prizes in college football. But he recognizes 
that his foundation is in what his parents taught him about God. And that's where his strength comes from and through doing these things. You know, another quick word about it. With, with his knowledge of the Bible and wanting to influence the youngest generation, his younger cousin, Landon, Hooker and his brother created a children's book called The ABCs of Scripture for Athletes. Hinda's goal was for the work to be a positive influence in the lives of kids in his community. This book uses a sports-themed alphabet to help kids learn Scripture. Wow. Talk about leadership in a young man. You know, I wouldn't have been doing that when I was in college. I obviously wasn't a star football player or anything, but I certainly wouldn't have had the mindset also to be that helpful to a younger generation and be that inspired by God to do things. So, but what about the rest of the team? What about the other things going on there yesterday? Who was almost the most hated person in Tennessee football history yesterday? Who almost screwed it up for everybody? The kicker. Exactly. The kicker missed what? The extra point, the easiest thing in football you can possibly do. You go out there, you set the ball down. It's at a fixed distance. You practice it over and over, and it should be able to do it in your sleep. And what did he do? He missed it. He missed it. Now, how do you think he felt during that time? Oh, my goodness. This is the biggest game in college right now. This is the biggest game in his career. This is the biggest game in the coach's career. This is the biggest game for the fans in 15 years and what did he do he came out and he missed an extra point okay so think about this personally i would have had to go off somewhere on the sidelines and throw up <laughs> i could that would have been my that would have been my reaction but you know he sits there and everything now think think in his head let's get in his head a little bit we come down to the end of the game, towards the end of the game. Alabama is driving. What's the score? Does anybody know? 49 to 49. What would the score have been had, Hinda, had uh, the kicker made that extra point? It would have been 50 to 49. So he's sitting here watching Alabama drive down, and I know he's thinking, if I'd only made that point, if I'd only made that point. They held Alabama, and what did they do? They missed a field goal. So it's now tied up. 15 seconds left in the game. So they get down and get in field goal range. And here comes this young man comes out to make the extra point. Chase McGrath comes out to make a field goal. Can you imagine how hard a thing that is, to, the emotions he's gone through in this game? Here it is coming on him with no time on the clock, is going to go into overtime. They could still have a chance to win, but it's up to him to win the game. And what does he do? Makes a 40-yard field goal like it's nothing to it. Nothing to it. Perseveres, comes through it. You know what else that people have forgotten? Our, one of our first wins of the season was due to this young man kicking a 51-yard field goal against Pittsburgh. See how we get wrapped up in who we think the hero of the story is sometimes and what they're persevering through and stuff? This man, young man, Chase McGrath, has won two games for them, basically. He almost lost it for them, but he didn't. And I liked what the coach said yesterday. And this, this was a very important thing. He said, we played hard for the full 60 minutes. We played the full time. 
And that's what I want to talk about to us today is when we go, go through hard times is playing through it, playing the whole time, not giving up, not getting discouraged, not feeling hopeless, not thinking it's over, I've messed up, I can't do anything about it. We've got to learn to play the whole game. And we've got to learn where the strength to play through that comes from. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So before I begin, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you. Thank you for this day and your blessings. Thank you for all that are here, Lord. We uh, thank you for the rest that many are still enjoying uh, from fall break, Lord, the time to recharge and, and, and get back focused in life, Lord. We're going to talk a little bit about Sabbath next week, and that will kind of play into that, Lord. But just thank you for everyone that's here. Pray that you'll use your word today to encourage us, to strengthen us. And Lord, just help us to deal with everyday life and be more resilient in what we do. And we just pray that, you, that your Holy Spirit will be on us today, Lord, in this place. And pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, I want to start out with a passage of Scripture. And I thought, well, if Jesus can use a parable, if he can tell a story about a fig tree for spiritual truth, surely I can use a football game. I mean, it's, you know, but that's what Jesus was doing when he taught. He was trying to show people practical examples of things around them they could relate to. And this is a story about a fig tree. And he told them a parable. This is Luke 21. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves, you know that summer is already near. Let's pause there a second. We're in the opposite season right now, right? But we can still look out at the trees and what, what season are we coming on? Fall and winter. Why? We can look at the signs. We can look at the things around us and see the trees are changing their leaves. As in the spring, they put forth those new leaves. So he says, so also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That verse illustrates what we as human beings go through on this earth, day to day, year to year, moment by moment. We go through hard things. And he says, but watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down. He says, it's going to happen. And it, and it may come on you suddenly like a trap. And everyone that dwells on the face of the whole earth is going to go through this. It's a trap. Now, what do you do if you get in a trap? What's the first thing you want to do? Get out. Anybody ever do one of those escape rooms? Has anybody done those? The goal is to what? Get out. Sometimes you work together to get out, right? That's part of it. Part of our lives is we can rely on those brothers and sisters in Christ around us to help us get through tough, tough, tough times, to help us escape those traps. But again, look at the last, last verse of this passage. It says, keep alert at all times and pray that you may be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. I'm not really liking the sound of coming horrors. How many think that sounds like an encouragement this morning? That seems to tell me that there are things coming that are not going to be pleasant. Is that, is that what you guys get out of that? That's what I get out of it is, is Jesus himself is saying, hey, there's bad times coming and you're going to need strength to get through them. 
And is that a popular thing in our culture today? Do we look at we're going to go through bad or what? We have even pastors that have made their whole career out of telling you how rosy and wonderful life's going to be. How you're going to be blessed. You do this, you're going to be blessed. You do that, you're going to be blessed. God's going to give you money. God's going to give you the desires of your heart. God's going to give, 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 give. It's just going to be wonderful. That doesn't sound like horrors, does it? Seems to me like Jesus is maybe being a little more honest than some of these folks are in telling us. There's going to be tough times coming, and you're going to need to know how to escape. The Greek word used here for escape is kateskuo, and it means to be strong to another's detriment or to prevail against, to be superior in strength, or to overcome and prevail. So this escape, to escape this trap, these coming horrors, this trap that we're, is going to be set for us, we have to have strength, and that strength is we'll be superior, we'll overcome, we'll prevail those are good words, aren't they? I like those words. That sounds a lot better than horror, doesn't it? We can escape through prevailing strength, um, superior strength, and overcoming. Now, that word for escape, the Greek word for escape, is only used one other time in Scripture, which I found fascinating. You know, and to me, when you find words that are only used once in Scripture, once or twice, they seem to have a very uniqueness and importance to it. In Matthew chapter 16, and I tell you, or Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the word for strength he's talking about there. That catechio strength is the same strength he's saying you will have to prevail, that hell itself will not come against you and overcome you. Hmm. That gives that, that horror thing a little bit different texture to me. It gives it a little bit different meaning that, yes, we know that horrors and bad things are going to come to us. But Jesus has said, if hell itself and its demons and Satan and everybody comes against you as a Christian and as a body of believers, they will not prevail if you rely on my strength. I find encouragement in that. Do you guys find encouragement in that? You find encouragement that, hey, there's a strength available to us. But but let's talk a little bit this morning about strength. And we're going to get into several things about culture and things here I think are going to be helpful to you. Do you hear much about strength and overcoming and perseverance these days? Do you hear anything about that? I hear it in sports context. The reason I gave that example to, to open up with is we talk about athletes persevering. We talk about teams persevering, going through hard times. You know, UT's team had not beaten Alabama in 15 years. Very few people. It's not just Tennessee. Very few teams have beaten Alabama in the past 10 to 15 years. That is the only time they have ever beaten a Nick Saban coach team, ever. He's beaten them every time. So we can think of perseverance in that. But what about in our daily lives? What do we think about perseverance there and strength? You know, I'm a little older generation than some of you. Some of you are right up there with me. There's a few that are even older. I won't mention your names to spare you embarrassment. But when my generation was growing up, we saw heroes on TV. Does anybody remember that growing up? We saw heroes. Who did we see? Who were, you know, you would go and you'd watch a Western I still love Westerns. You would go, the good guy was always the sheriff. And you had bad guys that did bad things. And who who persevered and who prevailed? 
had the strength to do the right thing all the time. The sheriff, the good guys, the good cowboys, they took care of the bad people. The people that would rob the stagecoach or rob the bank or, or steal your cattle or whatever. The sheriff was there. And he was seen as a strong moral character to look up to, to see him as an example of. All right, I'll tell you a little about myself. You know who one of my favorite TV characters was growing up? John Wayne would be one. Batman. Batman. In the 60s, Batman was the hugest thing around. And what about Batman? He had high moral character. They would get in a bind. Him and Robin, they'd get tied up. There's no telling what would happen, what the circumstances would be. And it would look so dire that they were not going to escape. But did they give up and say, well, it looks like the Joker's got us this time. They never gave up, did they? They worked through and persevered and became the heroes of the story because they went through that hard thing and they got it right. They got it right. They went through a hard time and they didn't give up. They didn't knock their water over either because they didn't have these fancy aluminum bottles and things. They drank out of a glass out of the, out of the kitchen. But, you know, we, we have changed so much in society. Would you all agree with that? It's probably harder for you that are younger than myself and my generation to see it because you're growing up in it. I'm a generation removed from what we have now. My kids are grown as adults, and I see huge differences in our society. I think, and this is one of the things, and some of this is from um, John Book's, uh, John Eldridge's book on resilience. We have become addicted to comfort and ease. How many would agree with that? What do we look for in our lives? We look for the easy way out, don't we? We look for the easy way. And I've got several examples, but this is a great one. You guys will like this. I really want, I really want this to work. I don't think it, it necessarily will. But when I get in a hard place, I want to take this. That was, that was easy. Oh, I've got, what have I got? That was easy. I've got my easy button. Life is going to change forever today because I can now just go. That was easy. <laughs> the Staples Company made an entire marketing campaign around making life easy for you. Can you believe that? We are so addicted to comfort that it is so hard to go buy a ream of paper for my printer. I need an easy button to get through it. Can you imagine? Oh, Oh, I'm out of ink. Oh. That was easy. Oh, Staples, thank you for coming to my rescue. <laughs> They'll send ink to your house, and that's where I'm going with this. Okay, let's go back and look back to my grandparents' generation. Where do they get groceries from? The store or maybe where else? The backyard. Cows, pigs, chickens, tomatoes, green beans, corn. Do you know all that stuff that winds up at Walmart? Do you know where it starts at? It starts on a farm. Believe this or not, people used to do that for themselves. Oh, you know, I don't know how they got it in the little cardboard things to put in their microwaves back then, but somehow they, they managed to survive, you know. They managed to go through these tough times of raising crops and things. Can you imagine what a hard time is, you know, We've seen pictures and things of what was called the Dust Bowl, where they had overfarmed the land, and they couldn't grow crops. It wasn't a matter of Walmart was out of it. The earth was out of it. 
There was nowhere to have food. We, we see oftentimes in Scripture, we th- see things about famine. We see things about hard times, famine and drought and all those things, tough times that people went through and gained strength through it. You know, we see the, the children of Israel actually wound up in Egypt as a result of a drought where they were fleeing from the drought and came and, and became subject to an Egyptian pharaoh because of hard times. That's where they wound up and they made their times even harder. They wound up being mistreated and, and sl- enslaved by the, the nation that was supposed to be helping them later. But look how addicted we are to comfort and ease. Now, um, I think Don's back here. He may still be back here. Don has had a garden this year, and he's explained how easy growing a garden is. It's simple, you know. If you want to get some tomato sauce, you know, you get like seven giant pots of tomatoes, and you stew them down and everything, and you come out with this little jar of tomato sauce that you can use later you know you work your fingers to the bone out there weeding and stuff it's not easy it's not easy to grow that but you know we had things come along like grocery stores that was wonderful wasn't it? you don't have to go out you don't have to raise your own crops you don't have to do all these things and then and then that was too hard i would have to get I'd have to get out of my sweatpants and my jammies. Well, not if you go to Walmart. I take that back. That's probably not necessary. <laughs> but if you go down to the grocery store, you got to get dressed. You got to go in. You got to start the car. You got to go in there. You got to get the buggy. You got to go up and down the aisles. And there's people with kids running crazy and all kinds of nonsense going on. Then you got to go to a checkout line where the cashier slow. Oh wait, we got rid of those. So now you can do that's on you. You get to do that yourself now. So. I'm not sure that that made it easier. They claim it did, but I'm still not convinced 100%. But you used to have, you had to go to the grocery store and get your groceries. And then we had a worldwide pandemic. And what changed? Instacart. Yes. You know what? I can sit in my jammies. Press my easy button and they'll bring the groceries to my front porch. Oh, my goodness. That that's that's good stuff, isn't it? We can get our groceries delivered to our front porch. But you know what? <sighs> Somehow I've got to take. I've got to get my Walmart sack. Does everybody else say Walmart sacks and use them for everything? This is a food city one. But you, you got to get your sack of groceries, and then what do you have to do? You got to carry it in and then put it in your refrigerator and your cabinets. Well, yeah, what kids are for? Amen. Chores. Now, Walmart offers a new service. Do you know what it is? They will come in your home and put your groceries up for you. Can you believe that you can? We are so addicted to comfort that now we need the Walmart to come in and put our groceries up. Now, seriously, there is a serious need, like my elderly parents that have trouble getting their groceries in and stuff. I could see them benefiting from this. Now, can you imagine the, the little Walmart person? Or who, I don't even think it's Walmart people. I think it's like your Uber Eats driver or whoever they hire them as, as Walmart delivery people. Uh, Josh is laughing back here. Josh, do they, could you deliver my Walmart groceries for me, bud? Absolutely not, man. So so this guy's going to come in. How many of you want a stranger opening and looking in your refrigerator? Oh, man. Uh, you know, and they're going to ask you where to put it. And I'll say, well, put it under the country crop tub of mashed potatoes that's left over, right? <laughs> yeah, you go through your 
you know, you go through my grandmother's refrigerator and there would be all these tubs and none of them had country crock in it. It had some leftover or whatever in it. That's how you, you did leftovers and stuff. But we have gotten so addicted to convenience and comfort that it has changed our culture and it has changed our very being. Would you all agree with that? We can't go through the tough things, the things that, that have happened. And why is this? It is difficult to say no to this culture addiction when dealers of comfort and pleasure invade every space in our lives. How often are you confronted with it needs to be easier? How many times are you told by mass media, social media, your friends and stuff, there's an easier way to do that. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing anything that hard, right? You should be taking the easy way out. There are easier ways to do this. And what happens is that changes us culturally. Uh, I was going back and, and reminiscing a bit about my growing up, my grandparents, their generation. They were the World War II generation, okay? They went through very tough times. Even those that didn't actively serve in the armed forces during the war, there was rationing, there were shortages. They had to make do with what they had. They recycled and saved things. And they came out on the other end of that world being very resilient, because they had gone through and faced the tough times head on and learned how to cope with those tough times. It built strength in them. Who do you think that strength came from? It came from God. Christians praying. How do I get through this, God? How do I get through this? I've got a loved one over here that's, that's in the war. What am I going to do to feed my kids? God, how do you help me? And they all got through that together and became a resilient people. Now we no longer have that. And if we have a hard time that comes to us, guess what happens? Going through hard things requires sacrifice and discomfort. Our sinful self naturally wants to resist this notion. If it's hard, it's what? It's bad. It's bad, right? If it's hard, it's coming to me because it's a bad thing. You know, we go through all kinds of different hard things, but when it comes to us, you know, we look at this and we want to resist it. When the hard things come into your life, what's one of the first things you think? Why? You got it. And more specifically than why, it's why me? Why me? These people over here aren't going through this, God. Why are you bringing this to me? And then that's where we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. We don't want to go through the hard time. We want to just kind of coast through and, and God miraculous, miraculously provide the answer. And God sometimes does that. But sometimes he sees fit to let us go through that hard thing to teach us. I don't want to learn. Do you guys? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I don't want to learn. I'm like, just just be like, be like in the Passover where you put the blood on the doorpost we're going to put the on our doorpost, I want the easy over mine. I'm going to put the easy button up here, God, over my doorpost. And when you come over with that hard thing, would you just pass on by my house? We, we don't really want that. But that's what God does. He brings us these hard times. But then we begin to look at ways to get out of them. We begin to look at ways to get out of that. The hard times bring something, something to us. Do you remember uh, back during COVID, and this is outside of vaccines. What was going to end COVID for us? Does anybody remember the term? I'm looking for a specific term here. Herd immunity. Yes. Herd immunity meant what? Enough people 
got sick with the virus and went through the hard thing of having the virus, that it built immunity into the population, and then you were no longer suspect or no longer um, vulnerable to the virus, right? Herd immunity. Well, our problem is we want to go, we want to look for immunity from hard things instead of gaining strength by going through them, right? We we know sometimes herd immunity is a great example if you had to go through something to get to the other side. And that's what, and that's actually, I think, what they're relying on now with the milder forms of COVID, which many people are still sick with. It's a little bit milder, but there's not really so much emphasis on vaccines and things it's, unless you're in a vulnerable population. As in, it's just going to kind of burn its way through society. You're going to get sick. You'll be okay. And you'll gain a herd immunity from it. But we don't want that immunity. We don't want... What's the first thing, if you're sick, have some ailment, it can be from heart disease, diabetes, whatever. What do you want? Medicine. Have you got a shot for that? Can I take a shot? Is there something I can do? You know, just give me a shot so I don't experience the discomfort, right? I don't want to go through that. COVID was a little different. It was a life-threatening illness. I can see taking a shot for that. But there's so many other things that we want to look for the easy way out. Just give me a shot for that. Have you not got something? Hey, physical fitness is still big in our society, right? We hear a lot about physical fitness. You know, can you give me one of those fat-burning pills for that? How many times, if you turn on your TV, is there a guaranteed or radio weight loss program for you? The weight loss program will involve some special set of circumstances. We'll do medical diagnostic testing on you. We'll find out what you need to eat. We'll give you this fat burning something or another that's going to help you burn off excess fat and everything. Do you know what never, ever comes out in any of these programs? They never say you should eat less and exercise more. Does anybody ever say that? Do you know what's guaranteed to work almost every time? Eat less, exercise more. But why don't you want to do that? It's hard. You have to go and deny self. You have to look and say, ooh, break room donuts. <laughs> you know? That, I, and they're free. Can, you know, we, we've got a friend of mine at work. He's one of our customers, actually. And he, and he brings in donuts. And I have now accused him of being with the DEA. Not drug enforcement agency, donut enforcement agency. Because he will come in and say, hey, we got donuts over here. Did, did you get you one? You need a donut. And I'm thinking, I do not need a donut. <laughs> I do not need that. But he is going to push me and say, you really need that. You know, that's, that's the easy thing to do is, you know, to give in to that. But, you know, eating can be a form of escapism too, can't it? What do we begin telling ourselves when we're confronted with hard times? Things, you know, being on a diet's hard. What's really hard is when anybody in here use a treadmill? Anybody at all? I've got a couple here. When you look down on that treadmill, when you're doing your thing, you know, and you look down, and there's this little thing up there, at least mine has this, and it says, calories burned. And I'm thinking... I just ate that many potato chips before I got on here. I'm, I am doomed. I am never going to get out of this cycle because this is hard. But when you start realizing what it takes, you start changing your behavior. You start changing what you do. You start changing what you eat. You realize this is going to be hard, but oh my goodness, I don't need it. Make it harder than what it already is. And you start to modify your life. The problem is we get into this, this deal 
that instead of calling on God, we look to escapism to avoid hard times. This is where we start avoiding hard times. What are ways in our society that we try and escape hard things? Netflix, there's a good one. What else? Avoiding it. What else? I'm looking for some biggies here. Some dark stuff. Drugs. Alcohol. What we do, and this is how it starts. I've had a bad day at work. It's been really tough. You know, I deserve a glass of wine to unwind before bed. It's been a rough day. Everything's been going wrong. I deserve a glass. Man, today was, this is the worst day I've had. You know what? I think I think I need a glass before dinner and one after dinner because it's been hard. And you know what? I went through this hard thing and I deserve it, right? When you go through hard things, don't you deserve a reward? Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? You go through something hard, I need a reward for this. And then if you have an addictive type personality, then it becomes I need to go out to the car and get a drink at lunchtime. Or I need to start the day off with a, a little something in my coffee. And we're doing this to avoid the hard thing that, is, that we've run smack up against. And we're trying to look to escapism instead of looking to God. And we're trying to make it through by self-coping. I've dealt with lots of addicts, lots of people with problems like that. And most of them are using the drugs or the alcohol to compensate for something else that they can't figure out in their lives. And that's the reason it is a, it is not just a chemical problem. Sometimes it's a chemical imbalance, but also it is a problem of figuring out how to deal with life. It's looking for something to help you get through the hard times that doesn't really help and makes, your, makes it even harder on you. I thought this was a really great point that Mark made last week. He, he taught us one thing that makes us different from God is our ability, that makes us most like God is our ability to say no. How about that? That was one of the things that separates us out from just general animals, anything you can think of. It makes us most like God is our ability to say no to that escapism. To say no. When those times get hard to say, you know what, God, I know this is a hard time, but I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to go through it because you told me back here, if I got up in one of these traps, that you were going to provide me the strength to get out of the trap. If I'm in that escape room, you're going to show me the answer. You're going to show me how to get out of this. And I'm not going to rely on myself. I'm going to rely on you. But what? who is the hardest person sometimes to say no to? Yourself. It can be very hard to say no to yourself. We have a constant battle with self, don't we? All right? Does anybody else, am I the only one that struggles with that? Telling myself no? Yeah, lots of people do. And it's and it's not necessarily it's drugs or whatever. It's just, it's doing something hard that I don't want to do. And, and telling myself, no, you can't avoid this. You've got to do this. You know, and, and sometimes it's unpleasant things. It's health issues. It's financial issues. There's all kinds of things that we as a society have to go through as a, as a culture. And it's a constant battle with self. To do that. Now, this is where I, I want you to really pay attention in this message because this is, is where it's one of my favorite old country preachers, J. Vernon McGee. Great old guy. 
This is where he said, brother, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the point. And this is what I want you to see. All these things that we're talking about, about discomfort and going through hard things, the most significant way that Satan is using our addiction to comfort against us is instead of asking for God's strength in hard times, we just fall away from, fall away from following Jesus. Right? Jesus should be. Easy. He should be there. Do we use Jesus as our easy button? We try to, don't we? Never works out. But we want to just say, oh, Jesus. Oh, I've got so-and-so going on. Take it away from me. Take it away. Jesus himself prayed that, didn't he? In the garden. He said, if there's another way, do what? God, if there's another way, take this from me. But if there isn't, I'm going to go through it because it's your will. Jesus himself faced hard times, and he knew that his father could bring him through it. But it's natural for us to look at that way out. But Satan is destroying us by getting us not to look at God as the answer. We look everywhere else for strength. We look for our easy button, whether it be a shot or whether it be escapism or whether it be avoidance, whatever it is, we are looking for an easy way out. Amen? Do you think that's a cultural problem? I think it is. And I think that Satan is masterfully using this against us. Scripture tells us this is going to happen. Listen in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we're about to finish up. We're actually going to be early today. You're going to be proud of me. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Second Thessalonians tells us there's going to be a falling away of Christians. We're going to basically do what? What's falling away mean? God's not important anymore. I'm not going to. It's not worth the effort. It's not worth the sacrifice. It's not worth what I put in it for what I get out of it. So I'm going to find other ways to lead my life. That is where the church in America is today. Every church in Chattanooga, in Tennessee, in the United States, every pastor pretty much can tell you the same story. Pre-pandemic, our churches are not as strong as they are were. Post-pandemic, we're not as strong as we were pre-pandemic. Before the pandemic, our churches were stronger than after we went through a hard time. That doesn't make sense, does it? Doesn't make sense. But what did we do? We became divided as a nation, as churches, and we let Satan get his foot in the door and get us arguing amongst ourselves about masks and shots and politics and all these things instead of looking for God and saying, God, I don't know what you've got for me. This is a hard time, but I need your strength and our church needs the strength from you to get through this. Instead is what we did is we looked for somebody that we were looking for these things they were easy, that matched our personalities. Would you degree, agree we still live in a divided America? I think so. I think it's pretty obvious from the news and stuff. Am I saying one side or the other is right or wrong? Nope. 
It's just divided. It is what it is. Yet we've talked about this often here. We serve a kingdom. We serve a kingdom that is higher than the kingdoms of this earth. So if you put yourself up at this level, looking at all this, it's a different perspective. You see the division. You see our enemy, Satan, working us against each other. It's stuff that's almost silly. It's so obvious. Things that we've had churches in, in Chattanooga divide and move people around over whether you wore a mask to church or not. Oh, my gracious. We have had, sadly to say, pastors that I have seen have specialized in politics of one flavor or the other to increase their congregations. That's wickedness, in my opinion. That's not church. That's not what we're here for. We're here to lean on each other. Even if we have different opinions about those things, we're serving a kingdom. We're serving a God that can can take care of all this. But we reduced it down to a simple set of preferences over where we wore, wore a mask or not and divided our churches. That's wickedness. That's evil. That's not something God's going to bless. And if you're going to capitalize that and say, you know what? You should come over here to my church because we love our people and we want to make sure you don't get sick and, and we wear masks here. And on the other side, they go, you don't trust God enough. You need If, you, if your tr- church doesn't trust God enough to not wear a mask, you need to be over here with us real believers that believe God will save you without a mask. And y'all laugh. That's what happened. That's what happened to the church in America is we split along those lines. Many churches did. We thought that was foolishness all along. We didn't go those routes. We asked medical professionals what was the best thing to do to keep people safe, especially in mind that we had people here that have medical issues. We have people that are that are more uh, easily affected by disease like that. We asked medical professionals on how to do those things, and we prayed about it. We didn't want to see our church divided, and so we didn't do those things. But our nation did those things. We didn't look to God to get us through the, through the hard times. We looked at politicians and scientists and all these other things to get us through that hard time. And guess what? We came out of a pandemic even less resilient than we did before. We came out of a hard time with less strength than we went into it with. Can you imagine? We were weak already. John Eldridge, he, he likens it to our addiction to comfort during the pandemic, he said it would be as if we had lived this life of comfort and suddenly you had dropped us barefoot into the middle of the war in Afghanistan. And we didn't know how to react to it. We were so addicted to the comfort in our lives, the things that made our lives easy, that we didn't know what to do. We were baffled. And so we looked for all these answers and stuff. And then we went through it and didn't learn a thing, so many of us. We went through the hard time and didn't ask God for the strength to continue And we wound up where we're at today. We're looking at the church. The church is in decline in America. I hate to say that. The church as the body of believers under Christ, we don't have to worry about it. Because what did he tell us about that in a verse earlier? What's not going to prevail against it? The very gates of hell. Hell itself will not prevail against the church. You got that? The church, God's body of believers, those that believe in him, But the little church, the little administrations, the little congregations, the things that don't have that kingdom mindset, yeah, Satan messes with them all the time. He messes with all of us all the time. He messes with our own families all the time because we don't have that kingdom-mindedness. But that lack of importance has led to a declining church in America. It has led to it being not important. We've convinced ourselves that, hey, you know what? 
We didn't go to church even during the pandemic. We watched it on TV. And, you know, and I can watch it any time. So why even be there on a Sunday? Why even be here today? You know, it's easy. Exactly. You know what? I can I can push my easy button. That was easy. And I can get the church on YouTube this morning. Now, I understand. Sometimes you're sick. Sometimes you're out of town, those things. To me, it's a double-edged sword, the technology is. You, it can either make it so easy you don't want to come anymore because you're not really a part of the community, or it can be a blessing to you when you can't come. It's all in how you're focused and what's driving you in life. I want to be here. I want to be among believers. I want us to share stories. I want us to share life together. I want this congregation to come together and not look like the little church, but look like the big church, the kingdom church, where we go out and we go out into our communities. We cooperate with other believers. We do things for the kingdom. That's what I'm all about. That's what Mark's about. That's the reason this church is here. That's where we want to be. That is not the church in America now. We have fallen so far away from what God would have us do that the church has become it's just one of many good things I could do. You know, lots of people nowadays, they'll bring their kids to church every now and then. Well, that's good. That's just like, and I also, and I take them for music lessons and they play sports. It's just part of being what? A well-rounded individual is just throw a little church in with it, right? We're, our kids are going to be well-rounded. We're going to expose them to church and sports and the arts, and we're going to do all these things when, what does God tell us? Where's our focus to be? On him and the kingdom, right? So it's not one of many good things. It's the only good thing. And it's what should drive the rest of our lives. But we have gotten away from that. And that's one of the things that I really was impressed with this story about Hendon Hooker. Do you think his dad that had him go to youth group and everything said, you know, Hendon, you really ought to go out there and get your, get your brother and throw some passing routes this evening instead of coming to youth group. It's not important. You think his dad said that? I don't think so. I think this young man got a strong foundation in why God was important, and it stuck with him through his college years already. And that's what we need to instill in our youth and our kids is this is important. This is something you should anchor your life into. And I love this verse from 1 Chronicles. This tells us what we should be doing. And Francis, the verses she shared out of Psalms also had this content. It says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. When you're going through hard times, then where do you look? Seek God. Seek God in whatever you're doing. Seek his presence continually. Now, here's, here's where it really gets hard for us as Christians. We wait to seek his, his presence when the hard time comes, Right? We wait for the hard time to get here, and then God rescue me. God help me. God save me. God do this. God do that. I've got a grocery list of things I need now, God. This has all happened. We've been seeking him continuously. We wouldn't feel like we were in a panic. And sometimes, do you not feel worthy of asking God for something? How many of y'all ever, I struggle with that. Do you ever feel like, God, I've let you down. I really shouldn't be asking you this right now. If you keep the right relationship with God, all the time, seek him continually. Yeah, you're going to have to make adjustments on the way, but it's not going to be this suddenly. God, I hadn't been to church in five years, and I suddenly need you right now, and I need it right now. And I know I haven't done anything, but God, I need it. And you feel guilty about it. And again, something that Satan uses against us. God will forgive that just like he will anything. But it eats at us, and we think we're not good enough to ask God for this strength. But here's the really cool part in this closing, closing scripture. 
when you pair it with what we just read. Let's, let's reread First Chronicles again. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. And here's the response on God's end. Here's what he's doing from Second Chronicles. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong supports to those whose heart is blameless towards him. So if we're seeking him, he's seeking us. His eyes are going to and fro and looking for who's seeking him. Okay, isn't it usually a lot easier if you're if you're looking for somebody and they're looking for you to meet up? Makes it a lot easier than just a one party, uh, one you know, one sided search party. Doesn't it? If you're going to go meet somebody in the airport, tell them, okay, well, I'm at, I'm at gate so and so. Okay, we'll meet you there. We're walking so and so, and just saying, I don't know where I'm at. Come find me. That's what we do. That's what we do when we're not we're not seeking God. It's kind of like. God, I'm come find me, come help me, come rescue me. You know, I'm I'm here. Come come take care of me. When instead we should be always talking with Him and saying, God, I know you see me. I know you know I'm here. God, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need your strength to get through today, God. And I want you to help me with this. And He is out there looking. I mean, think about that. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. We serve such a mighty God that he is looking and saying, who's seeking me? What, what, what do you need my strength for today? It's here. What do you need? Let me help you with this. Let me come into your life and give you strength to help you get through a hard thing. I am right here. Just ask me. He said, now I'm not saying it's not going to be hard still. That's part of it. I've told you it's going to be hard. Remember I told you there were horrors to come. But you could escape from it if you ask for my strength. What a beautiful picture of a God that loves us, isn't it? That is looking for, seeking us, and we're seeking him. And it's a beautiful thing when the two come together, isn't it? When we're seeking him, he's seeking us. And we reach that point of fellowship with the God that created the earth and he supplies Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful thing. I mean, there are so many practical applications of that. And God uses his people to do this. God doesn't always reach down miraculously and help people. I was talking to Ken this morning. Uh, Ken and our other elder, Rick, are doing some relief work down in Florida where the hurricane hit. Yeah, there are people down there going through a hard time, aren't they? Did God go through and say, okay, well, you guys are going through a hard time. I'm going to make it easy. Press your easy button, and everything's going to go back to the way it was before the hurricane. It doesn't work that way. But in those prayers, God is using his children, those that answer the call, those that are seeking them. He has called some of them to go down there and assist, to go down there and help rebuild, to go down there and serve meals to people that are hungry, to do those things. And it's such a beautiful illustration of how the kingdom works. We have Christians here seeking and saying, God, help us. This is a terrible time. We need your help. He is looking for those cries. Remember we talked about the uniqueness of cries back in Genesis, in our study of Genesis, that God heard cries especially those cries of people that were that were oppressed for some reason. Those people in Florida are oppressed. He's hearing their cry. And what's he's doing? He's mobilizing his kingdom to come and help them. Wow. I mean, there's other government things and things that are helping, but God's mobilizing his kingdom with believers to go and help. And he's been doing that for all of time. There's entire ministries devoted to that. 
So I just want you to think as, as a closing prayer this morning about what you need. What is your need? What do you need to overcome the desire to use this all the time? To always look for the easy way out instead of relying on God. If you have a need in your life today, let's pray about it. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and close our eyes. And I would just like to see a show of hands this morning. If you have something hard you're facing and you'd like for God to know about this morning, would you just raise your hand? You got something hard you're facing. You don't have to look around. Don't have to look at me, anything. Okay. We've got several people right here amongst us this morning that need something from God. They need God's touch. They need him to reach down and see that hand up, see that cry. He's looking to and fro. You know what that means? He saw this this morning. He's looking for you. He saw you this morning. He knows what you need. And he's going to help us in that as long as we're seeking him. He's going to provide us the escape. And Lord, I just pray this morning for my brothers and sisters out here, even those maybe that are seeking you, God, that don't know you yet, that there is a way, God, that you are going to come into our lives. You're going to give us comfort, God. You're going to do things for us that are going to be miraculous, God. You're going to see our needs, and you're going to provide us the strength to escape the traps that have been set for us, God. This morning, I pray that as we as a nation, as a society, as a culture, as a church, as we look at these things that Satan has done to us, God, we look at the things that honestly we've done to ourselves. He just provided the temptation and we fell into it. As we look at our culture of comfort and always wanting the easy way out of things, God, that we realize that though it may be easy on the surface, that it's weakening us and we need your strength, God, today. We need all these hands that were raised. They need your strength to get through something that's hard in their life, God. And I pray this very morning, you will reach down. Your Holy Spirit will comfort them. And they will know, God, that you're going to lead them through this hard thing today. Lord, I pray for our church, our body of believers, God. I'm so thankful for this group that comes here weekly to worship you, Lord. They sacrifice their time. And they know, Lord, that there is something special about believers coming together, worshiping you, worshiping you in song, worshiping you in message. And we know, God, that that there's something special about coming together to do that and meeting each other's needs, God. Pray for those people still affected by the hurricane, Lord, and those that we have going down to minister to them, God, that, that heaven and earth will meet there, God, and they will see that you are touching them through your people, God. And we just pray all these things and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.